Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. I hope you were listening. I hope you heard, I mean really heard, that gospel story that Jesus tells in our lesson. And if you were listening, I'm guessing that at least some of you might be bothered by it, at least a little bit. Those of you, especially who've been at it a while, this kingdom business, laboring and God's vineyard and all that stuff, you know, busy with the kingdom. Now, for sure, there are other parables that are more difficult for us and demand more of us. But this one strikes right at our sense of fairness, of right and wrong. Because by all the accounting methodologies that we might employ, this new math that Jesus is using here just doesn't add up. God, the most honest, fair, and just being in the whole universe, the inventor of justice, the one who determines our final destiny, I mean, this God doesn't seem to be even able to negotiate a fair labor dispute. Now, that's nothing new, really. God's economy, God's justice has been questioned since the beginning. I mean, think about it. That was a a lot of misery for eating an apple. Secondly, just what do you expect from children when you tell them not to touch something? I think about the Israelites in the wilderness, ungrateful for the food that had been provided. And then when more than they could use came down from heaven, their question, what is this? I think about Abraham who argued from with God from the very beginning over the sinful people that he encountered, like the people of Sodom. Jonah fought with God over the value or the worth of the Ninevites. He argued that they weren't worth saving, and, you know, that made for a pretty bad day for him. The writer of the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, he finally throws his hands up. Like he's given up on the whole thing and he says, "Ah, it's all vanity. Life is just vanity. Now the Jews, they weren't particularly happy to think of God saving anybody but themselves. Jesus' closest friends, his disciples, thought it was kind of cute. That's all. When he pronounced that the kingdom of God belonged to Outsiders, and it belonged to women, and it belonged to children, worthless sinners, the poor. But this story, Jesus tells, really crosses a line, doesn't it? It describes a God who pays loafers and late bloomers and newbies the same as the steady laborers. It's 
kind of offensive to us. Same as the awesome performers and the overachievers in the kingdom. I mean, this is a story that lifts up the guy on the bench that makes the same compensation as the star who's in the end zone. And they all seem to agree. This is craziness. It makes no sense. That's not good economics. It's communism. It doesn't add up. It isn't fair. I mean, here comes Jesus. Mr. Big Shot, Savior of the world, Mr. Good News, into a world of order, law, into a world of black and white. One who comes amongst the people who believe God would be harsh yet fair. He would be a judge who handed out individual justice case by case, everyone getting what they had coming to them in the end. And this Jesus says now, well, that's not quite an accurate image of God. You see, God's more like a father than a judge. God is more of a lover than a fighter. And God's chief attribute is not justice, but it's generosity. Grace and mercy. It's not law. God's not an accountant, but a lover who's come not to condemn, but to save. And as the faithful cry out in protest, that's not fair. Jesus replies, hold on, folks. This is going to get worse. Because in God's sweet economy, one lost sheep equals 99 that stuck around. One small coin equals a million bucks. Your Father in Heaven, in fact, pays people who don't work at all. God receives and welcomes cheaters, even the promiscuous. Every kind of offensive sinner you can think of because God's primary characteristic is not to judge, it's to be generous. God takes the nothings of the world and makes them somethings. I mean, look around. Still not fair, you say, huh? Think about it. Here we are arguing with God, if not out loud, at least internally we're having this argument, as if we're on equal terms. The God who made the entire universe, who hung the planets in the sky and the stars in the sky, who set the whole thing into motion, and we can't make a roof that won't leak. We can't make a car that will keep on running or will fix itself. And we're arguing with God about all of this as if we're on equal terms. We want fairness from a God like that. Here in the middle of Matthew's Gospel, which, by the way, is the Gospel that's written to a bunch of religious folks like you and me. 
It's written to the church. Here in the middle of Matthew's gospel lies this ticking time bomb. It blows their mind. And maybe some of your minds too. This parable, this story that Jesus tells is not a story about how God helps those who help themselves. It's not a call to do good so some good gets done. It's not a sermonette about how we ought to feel kindly towards those whom God has had mercy on. It's not a lesson to learn and put into practice that will make a world a better place or our lives run smoother. But simply and powerfully, this story is just a startling reminder of God's generosity. Planting this notion that perhaps you and I might enjoy our lives a little bit more if we'd just relax. If we would just simply enjoy God and God's grace. Less judgment. Less offense. I mean, if I could give anything to any church anywhere in this country, any of good God's good people who gather for worship on any given day, if it was this word of advice that I would give, it comes from this. It's we need to stop being so offended by everything. I mean, the world sees that. They think that's what we do at church. We get together and get offended at the world and at what goes on out there. Well, we might do with a little less judgment and a little more grace. A little more acceptance and mutual respect. Which, when those things cut through my little moral equations, it elicits gratitude, Hmm? not grumbling. You see, when you receive grace, I grumble. But when I receive grace, I assume I've earned it. (laughs) Yeah. This economy of God is a strange thing, isn't it? It sounds sweet to some, but it sounds like craziness to others. And it drives number crunchers crazy. Accountants, bookkeepers, legalists, and a lot of evangelicals go nuts with this stuff. Jesus takes this little story and he rams it into our self-satisfied, smug assumptions that we've got God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and heaven all figured out. And here's the truth, though. If we don't like hearing about such generosity and lavish grace, we best not bother listening to Jesus. You might as well pack it up and head for Sunday brunch and football. John Wesley, you've heard of him? 
one of the great reformers of our tradition. John Wesley, who had been chased out of many beautiful pulpits in England in his time as a pastor, he said this one time, there are few matters more repugnant to reasonable people than the grace of God. (laughs) I love that. So let's try this whole concept out. What might it look like? So the kingdom of heaven is like a schoolyard basketball game where the nerd who got picked last to be on the team because the captain had to take him, the rules said he had to take him, he gets stuck in the game at the end because the rules say he has to go in the game, ends up with the basketball in a tied moment going into the last seconds of the game, takes the shot, and finally makes one to win it. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of God is like the mother of seven who is on the way home from a 12-hour shift at work, earning minimum wage, and she finds a winning lottery ticket. And guess what? You lost one in the same spot you found it. God's kingdom is where Brussels sprouts taste like chocolate. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is where everyone gets an A in algebra. And where golfers like me shoot a par. Every time. The kingdom of heaven is where the angels win over and over again. They win and they win and they win and they win. That's what the kingdom of heaven is. It's ridiculous. It's amazing. It's unfair. But that's what God's economy is. Folks, God is not upset with unacceptable outsiders or half-baked do-nothings or losers or the lost or deathbed converts to Christianity. That's not God's frustration. God does seem to be bothered with people on the inside who can't celebrate the scope and the largesse of the Lord's acceptance and mercy and grace for everybody. It's as if God looks out at the whole world and says, you're all in. You win a car. You get a car. You get a car. think God gets frustrated by our scarcity thinking. And he invites us to think abundantly about the kingdom instead. Listen, honestly, not one of us gets to the big party because we've earned our place. Because we earned our way in or up. We got invited. We got delivered, you and I. 
Uh, doesn't that great fact alone cause you to rejoice for every blessed hour that we have got to spend in God's vineyard? All the work and labor that you and I get to do for the sake of the kingdom, doesn't it just make you grateful for that? Working with other nonprofits, accomplishing great things in God's world, great causes, great ministries here, including our worship and all the things it takes to put that together. Isn't it a privilege that we get to do that? Can't we be grateful for the little bit of faithful labor and time we've been able to log in along the way for the movement of God in this world? Doesn't that change your worldview, your priorities? Shouldn't that change what you get riled up about? Why should fairness get in the way of my enjoying God's grace? God's sweet economy. God's generosity. God's grace is like a river that runs deep and wide, folks. It's mighty and it's humbling and it's inspiring. We sing about it along the way, don't we? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I hope that sounds sweet to you. Amen. Glory be to you, Heavenly Father, through Christ our Lord, who with the Holy Spirit reigns eternally, one God, now and always. Amen.